Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Viator is the world's leading travel experience marketplace, offering everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. Extensive options, ease of selection, and flexibility at your fingertips help make sure your time is wonderfully spent. Viator is the place to go to book experiences that will create long-lasting moments that make lifetime memories. And Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences to choose from in over 190 countries. In in fact, just last year, Viator helped my family put together this amazing adventure on the island of Kona. Swimming with the manta rays, trying to avoid the barracudas, whatever your wildest dreams. If you can imagine it, Viator probably has an experience just for you. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in Viator's world of wonderful experiences. Viator. One site. Over 300,000 experiences you'll remember. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast. South Carolina pulling off the improbable this past weekend. And Wes and Chris have had time to dissect it on their No Huddle ACP. I talked about it a lot on my Get Cocky podcast on Monday. Will Helms had some really interesting numbers to back up what was just an incredible, incredible defensive performance in Athens from the Gamecocks. We're here to talk about the Florida game, but we can't talk about the Florida game without spending a little bit more time going big picture on South Carolina and Georgia. What has interested me, I think, a lot in the conversation in the last couple of days, obviously the immediate aftermath, Sunday and Monday, was just pure celebration. But starting Monday afternoon and a lot yesterday, there seemed to be a lot of debate about where this win ranks in terms of the entirety of the South Carolina football program, the 127 or 130 years, or I think it's 127, however many years South Carolina has been playing football. There's been debate about where this stacks up in comparison to, for example, the 2010 Alabama win. And I have just sort of fallen into the category of this is the biggest upset that we can find in terms of the spread, in terms of the anticipated margin of victory. And for me, that makes it the biggest win for South Carolina. Is it the most important? Maybe not. You could make a compelling case for winning in the swamp at Florida in 2010 for South Carolina to win its first division title is in there. You could probably make some case for uh, a case for some other wins. But Chris and Wes, where does this rank for you in terms of the most important or biggest wins in the history of South Carolina football? So that's two different questions, right? Most important, biggest. Um, I don't know if it's <clears throat> the most important. I think – you know, you, you could pick a lot of games for most important. For example, you could pick the, the win in 2010 against Florida that gave South Carolina their one and only berth in the SEC title game. You could say it's the Alabama game because that was a number one team, right? Um, I don't know. It'd be, it'd be sort of difficult for me to say this is the most important win simply because of the circumstances surrounding it this season, right? Number one, we don't know how the season's going to play out. I mean, if South Carolina doesn't do much the rest of the year, that could – sort of diminish it on that scale possibly um for me or or one could at least make that argument sounds like you're already backtracking on that point <laughs> no, no i mean it's just I, I think it's an argument to be had you know um 
then in terms of the biggest win, you know, you, I, I think you can make more of an argument of that in terms of, you know, most important. It's an important win, most important. I don't know about that. But biggest win, I think you can make a better argument for um, simply because when you look at the spread, when you look at the expectation of this game, I don't, I don't know that anybody, I certainly didn't, anticipated South Carolina winning this game. There's mm-hmm. confidence in the locker room, you know, um, that, that they could go out and win. I think we saw some of that before the game, that this was a team that was actually pretty confident in their abilities, and I think that helped them on game day. Um, and, and that was striking because um, this is a team that's had struggles at the beginning of the season, you know, and they were able to go out and play confidently and, and get it done. But I would say I don't really know where I fall in that. Uh, but you really think that it, it – it, depends that much on how the rest of the season goes. Because I would argue that regardless of how the rest of the season goes, if Carolina goes on a huge winning streak right here, which we can talk about if South Carolina gets a win against Florida, gets a win against Florida they have three very winnable games. After yeah. that, you go at Tennessee, and I guess Tennessee just won an SEC game, which surprised me and was really sad because I was hoping they'd go over. And then you have a Vanderbilt team who's one of three teams in the country that's yet to even cover the spread, including, including losing – uh, by 24 points in a game in which they're 15 and a half point favorites against UNLV this past weekend. And then you have App State, who's probably the best of those three teams, but at least you have that one in Williams Price. You're talking about Carolina maybe going on a nice run here. Even if they don't do that, though, and even if the season continues to be up and down, I, I feel like that win will still stand out. And Carolina fans will look to it and say, you know, that was the year Carolina was five and seven, but it was the biggest upset in program history. You know, everybody got the marquee win that they were looking for from Will Muschamp. I feel like regardless of how the season goes, that win is going to stand the test of time. I, I think – I don't think there's an, even an argument against that it's the biggest upset, right? I mean – I mean, from a literal standpoint. From a literal it standpoint. It was definitely the biggest upset. It was the biggest upset in program history. Not um, Alabama people on message boards, so shut yeah. up. I mean, that that <laughs> game, lined-wise, was not – Six a and huge, a half. Yeah, I mean – That was a good team. That yeah. was a good South Carolina team. Yeah, they were 19 Maybe this country, one right? is, too. Or 20. But – they were Very ranked talented. going into that Alabama game. Yeah. Um, so we're all we're all in agreement. It's the biggest upset. Sure. Yeah. That's history. that's an easy. Um, so where where are you at on as far as where it ranks? I mean, I I, I think so because of a conversation that we had last week, where I, I think we all kind of agree that progress for a college football program is not linear, and sort of where I've landed on what this season. What needs to happen for this season to be a success for South Carolina isn't as much about Carolina going eight and four with losses to Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, and then one of like at Missouri, at Texas A and M or Florida. It's more about who can you steal a, or from whom can you steal a win. Um, so for South Carolina, until they're in that position where they were in the early teens, where they're actually a legitimate contender for the SEC, when they're really battling it out with the heavyweights and, you know, arguably a, a national contender, it doesn't matter as much to beat those teams that you have to beat. Like an egg against Missouri isn't as costly when you're kind of a middling team, at least not compared to how beneficial it is to have these games where you all of a sudden show up and, and basically knock off, you know, Georgia's national championship hopes. I mean, they could still went out and obviously represent the East and have a chance at the SEC championship, in which case they would probably be in the playoff. But this throws a huge wrench in everything. The first major wrench that has been thrown in the national championship discussion this entire season. And so for me, I mean, I, I feel like it's it's the biggest win in, in my lifetime. I can't speak to maybe, you know, people that remember the Florida State game in 1984 when Florida State came in here ranked like number 
three in the country or whatever, and Carolina whooped them. Like maybe that was bigger. Or the nineteen eighty one upset in Chapel Hill. A couple of those games, but for me, for my money, in my twenty six years on this earth, that's the biggest one that I've seen. Yeah, I still lean back towards Alabama just because um, the Alabama win, obviously, just because we talk about South Carolina's program in terms of can they compete for the SEC East and the the only year they've actually won the SEC East, the only year they've represented the East in the SEC championship game was the year they beat Alabama. And they, they had to beat Alabama, to which then, you know, you get to the point of you could say the, the Florida game that year as well, going on the road to the Swamp. But that that really wasn't a great Florida team that they beat. I, I guess as far as the circumstances around the game and what it meant, you make the argument. But I, as far as just beating an upper-level team and what it meant for the perception of the program – uh, that program, or that team, I should say, in 2010 was trying to sort of break through and get on that next level to where they're in the conversation with the elite teams in the country. And you see that win, and then you see the next three years South Carolina goes on. You know, they, they represent the East, then they win 11 games, 11 games, 11 games. So that game spring was a springboard into future success, I think, and um, – that to me means something. To Chris's point, if if South Carolina, if this is the game that is the springboard, I won't just say for this season, but just for this program. When you look at where you look at the conversation three weeks ago before the Kentucky game, and for them to now manhandle Kentucky, then beat Georgia, and then potentially, I, I don't think that South Carolina's ever beaten a top ten team two weeks in a row, which is the opportunity you have ahead of you with with uh, Florida this week. Um, it could end up being the biggest one based on what South Carolina does. And, you know, the, the thing about that Alabama win that's always going to sort of be it, – it, it still obviously counts, but the fact that they lost to Kentucky the very next week in a game that they were up big, um, that always sort of is – not an asterisk, but that always sort of pops in my mind when I think about that win. So this this program, we talked about it all off season how Muschamp needed that marquee win. And now you start to look at this season. Yeah, bad loss to North Carolina. The Missouri loss, even though it was ugly and how it played out, just losing to Missouri at Missouri um, really isn't some huge blemish. They're, they're a pretty good football team, I think we've learned. The season now has a chance again. You know, I think a lot of people almost had this as like a lost season at this point. The season has a chance. You get a boost in recruiting. You keep your guys that have stuck with you. I'm talking about the committed guys. They're sort of um, – rejuvenated I, I think was was something like that and um it, it gives them a, a little bit of uh juice with their their friends you know who, you know or maybe giving them hell about being committed to South Carolina when things were going bad so I, I think this is this is exactly what the program needed where it stands traditionally you know I, I'll go back I, I think the the 2000 win over Georgia when South Carolina was coming off of you know one and ten and zero and eleven, and they had just broken the streak the week before. And then to beat beat Georgia with Quincy Carter as a quarterback through five picks in that game. Yeah, and then you know I, I'll tell you this: twenty twelve, when South Carolina beats number six Georgia in Williams Bryce Stadium, which to me, for my money, is still the best I've ever seen South Carolina play in a football game against the top opponent. That was the most erotic South Carolina football game I've ever watched. At, not using that word, but uh, it was. Be honest. The, Were you there? Were you in the stadium? Ab- absolutely, it was, it was erotic. Um, that that was the 
that was the best win in South Carolina history as far as just taking a really good opponent and bringing them into your house and just hum- just humbling them to an extent that I'm surprised Georgia was actually able to recover and go on to actually as one play. That's a team that was one play away from playing for the national championship in South Carolina dominated them from literal kickoff to end of game. And to me, that that was the height of South Carolina football as far as just putting it all together. And yep. that I remember thinking, this team is a national championship contender. And then a point that I'm actually going to relay back to the game this week, South Carolina then has to go to LSU and to Florida with just tough, tough road games and ends up losing by one score at LSU and then getting demolished by Will Muschamp's Florida team in Florida. But that that game's in the conversation for me as well. That 2010 game against Alabama, I just wanted to make this point. You know, Alabama, just for more context to it, I think you got to add context to some of these wins. Alabama just won the national title the year before against Texas. 2010, they end up going 10-3. and three. It's not like they're a bad team. I think they finished in the top 10. They, they win their bowl game against Michigan State by 42. And then in 2011 and 2012, they won the national title again. So that 2010 team was the only one that didn't win the national title. Still a really good team. So I think it was a meaningful win for South Carolina because at the time, were they the top team in the country? No. As it ended up playing out, Alabama was not the best team in the country that year. But at the time, they were thought of as that. They were the defending national champions. So it was a... It was a huge win. I mean, it, it, it was the type of thing, and what, as Wes said, especially given that they lost to Kentucky, that was a win they needed to make to Atlanta. They didn't up, end up winning in Atlanta. They didn't make it back. But um, I think it was a springboard type of win for them. So I think you could go a lot of different ways. It depends on, on, on what weight you place on, on all these different factors. I don't even know if there's a right or wrong answer you know, to it necessarily. But I think when you look at that Georgia game this season – there's no disputing biggest upset in history and, and a gigantic win for the program, but I also do think that we're going to have to put it into its proper context after the season depending on what South Carolina does. I'd like yeah. to add also game day was on campus for the win over Alabama. The college football world was paying attention. Yep. Now, as we've learned, that was what the, they said top three most watched. Um, the game this past weekend was most top three watched nooner. For ESPN, Nooner. And, wow, invoking Lorenzo Nunez. Yeah, and the I don't Nooner. know how. No, that's a Steve Spurrier thing. He'd call the noon games Nooners. Oh, what? See, I always yeah. called Lorenzo Lorenzo Nunez the Nooner. Oh, yeah. Okay, we didn't um, know that. <laughs> but no, I, I think you know that that game. Everyone was tuned in, and it was a. I think was that the first time they had game day on the horseshoe, as well. I think that's when they moved it to the horseshoe. I just felt like that entire day. Yeah, because they've had it thrice, and it was that game, it was the Georgia game in 2012, and then it was the Missouri game in one of the subsequent years. Was that 13 or 14? 14. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that would have been the first one. That was a big deal. Yeah, it it was just a showcase for South Carolina, and it was Saban versus Spurrier. That was the marquee matchup for college football that day. It was talked about – you know, heading in, you know, is this South Carolina team ready to compete with the likes of Alabama? And then they did and played well, and it was a great game. It was an exciting game. South Carolina had everything on that day. Just like, again, the, the 2012 win over Georgia, I think, was the uh, South Carolina was like the toast of college football that day. 
So it sounds like we all agree this George win was the biggest ever. No, just kidding. It's, it's a much more complicated conversation. But it was certainly improbable, the most improbable win. And uh, we've kind of gone through all the specifics of how Carolina did it, obviously smothering defensive performance, four turnovers, two of which were real gimmies, two of which I think you give Carolina credit for. I mean, you give them credit for ca- being able to capitalize on all four of them. Um, but it was just really – just you know, outstanding all around. The offense, being able to actually play turnover-free football, especially having to have – two different quarterbacks in there that really kind of disrupted what was a good rhythm going early for South Carolina. Ryan Helensky had, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, the best game of his career, obviously finished 15-20. The beautiful touchdown pass to Brian Edwards. Rico Dowdle had another good game. They, they did everything that they needed to do in that game. And I said this yesterday on my local show on 107.5. For me, it felt like this Georgia upset started three weeks ago against Kentucky, just in terms of, this team having an edge and having uh, an air of confidence about them that we haven't seen them have all year, that was desperately lacking in that Missouri game, that was desperately lacking in that North Carolina game, they have newfound energy. They look like a completely different team, and they're playing better. Javon Kinlaw said as much uh, yesterday before Will Muschamp's press conference when he was asked what the difference was for this defense, and he just said simply mindset. And I, I think that I think gives you hope for what the rest of the season could be for Carolina. I'm not ready to. It is still mathematically possible, but I'm not ready to have the conversation about South Carolina still being in the East race, now having an important tiebreaker over Georgia. They're a long way away from that actually, you know, really like needing to come to fruition. But like I said earlier, you look at this final stretch now, you have Florida and that's at home. So when you talk about the the letdown after the emotional Alabama win in 2010, part of that is you're going to Lexington. Now you're you're coming back home to Columbia in front of a home crowd that's going to be raucous. Um, to reference Javon Kinlaw's comments again yesterday, I think he his advice to fans was to wake up at three or four and start drinking and then come Don out to Stanley. the new game. Huh? Oh, that was Dono. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So wake up at three or four, come drinking, and be loud and and be crazy. I think that's going to make a huge difference. And then three winnable games, and then a Clemson team that. By the time Carolina plays Clemson, Carolina will have played either six or seven. They'll have played six, and Clemson will Clemson will either be their sixth or their seventh top 25 team, and I think there's a good chance that that will be the first team that finishes in the top 25 that Clemson plays this year in South Carolina. What were the odds of that coming into the season, <laughs> that Carolina was going to be the only legitimately good team that Carolina was going to play or that Clemson was going to play? And well, we I mean, pretty good, happen, uh, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> well, but you think Texas A&M, yeah. you thought maybe Syracuse, and there were a couple other. That, but I mean, it's just it's Syracuse. Just but that was the thing. Syracuse was like the the, the throw in. It's like that's the team. Who are you going to pick? Ah, uh, Syracuse, I guess. Just go you know, to last year. I mean, just yeah, you know, just because. Well, two years last ago two they years. upset them, you know, right. and then last year they, they gave them a good game, but yeah. they lost that, their quarterback. With, yeah, but with both quarterbacks, because Bryant was out for that game, and then Lawrence got hurt, and then it was obviously the Chase Bryce show the, the rest of the way. Um, so there are some extenuating circumstances in that. But point is, South Carolina could win their next four games. They're they're right now like a five-and-a-half-point underdog to Florida. They're going to be a favorite against Tennessee. They're going to be a double-digit favorite against Vanderbilt. The App State game is at home. I would imagine Carolina will be a slight favorite in that. There's no way that App State will be a significant favorite either way. So they're not going to be significant underdogs until they play Clemson. And, again, Clemson has very much – slept walk through the entire season. So I really have no idea what to think about that football team. And now you're talking about a scenario where eight and four, maybe even nine and three is not outside of the realm of possibility. And when you couple that with the Georgia win as really the catalyst for this, and you know, maybe like the Kentucky is the catalyst for this Georgia win. I, I mean, 
the, the turnaround that could happen here in the back half of the season is extraordinary and unprecedented. And to your point, Wes, considering where this fan base was three weeks ago, I mean, it's just completely unimaginable. Yeah, and I, I think my big thing from the last two games is that we're starting to see this defense just sort of mold into what I think we all, or at least I thought it could be preseason. Um, and I, I, I wrote this on the site. I think we're seeing finally this defense look like it was designed to look. You know, from a schematic standpoint, this is how a Will Muschamp defense is supposed to look. And I, I think you look at how it's designed. Um, first and foremost, stop the run is top priority. M- most of the time, um, you know, obviously game to game, matchup to matchup, things change. But for the most part, they're going to have an extra guy in the box. You know, stopping the run is going to be top priority. Um, but there's also always going to be at least one safety back. You know, this is not a defense that's designed. Some defenses are designed high risk, high reward. This defense is designed to take away the run and take away the deep ball. There's going to be some intermediate throws. There's going to be some throws maybe down the seams from time to time. Those are going to get hit. But I think in the past we've seen when South Carolina didn't quite have the dudes to sort of execute this defense the way it was designed in a perfect world was, A, too many missed tackles. So, taking away the run from a number standpoint, extra hat in the box, that sort of gets negated when you start missing multiple tackles on a play and what could have been a two- or three-yard run becomes an explosive play. Then I think back-end-wise, if your whole thing is take away the deep ball, but then opponents are able to get explosive plays in the passing game by hitting the intermediate balls or even the quick screens on the outside and then missing a tackle or there's a bad angle, that becomes an explosive play anyway. So... I think by design, when you have those things added in, then the the defense can struggle. But then turn it around, what we're seeing right now is good defensive line play, um, borderline great defensive line play at times. That is allowing the linebackers to actually make plays without the offensive line getting to them. I I think we were hard on linebackers last year. Rightfully so. They didn't didn't play great, but a lot of that was because of what was going on in front of them. Now, you know, they're not – the ball isn't snapped, and then there's a guy in their face right away. They're able to actually maneuver, attack the line of scrimmage. They're playing fast. So then those two things go hand in hand. Now the secondary still, you know, I think – I wouldn't call it necessarily bend but don't break, but it's not an all-out aggressive type scheme. It's don't get beat deep and make them sort of work for everything they get. And I think right now this defense is making opponents earn every inch. Or Georgia had to earn everything they got just three – forced missed tackles from running from the running backs of Georgia, which would have been unheard of if you look at the last three games between these two teams. And now they're actually tackling, and the plays are just going for what they go for, as in they're going for what they're blocked for or what they're passed for, as opposed to it being yards after contact or yards after catch. And so you take away those things, then add in a few turnovers, and all of a sudden that's the recipe for South Carolina's defense to be really good. And now I think I think we have two games of uh, case study here, like two, like a sample size of two games. We wondered after Kentucky, well, is it just because their quarterback is awful? And some of that, mm-hmm. yes. But I think we've seen two games now. We're starting to see this defense round into form, and uh, I'm I'm interested to see if they can continue it this week because the interesting thing about Florida, dude, is that. They were really good at running the football last year, especially against South Carolina. They ran it 
up and down the field against a beaten and battered South Carolina defense. But Florida statistically has not run the football very well this year. So Terrible. 93rd that, in the country in rush yards per game. That may be this may be another low scoring game. I, I I look at Florida, they were able to move the football against LSU at LSU. That's impressive. But just matchup wise, um, if they can't run the football against South Carolina, that obviously bodes very well for the Gamecocks. So we're going to get into a little Florida discussion in just a second vis-a-vis a little buy or sell. Um, but the, the reason that I'm most intrigued by this Florida matchup is you mentioned about Kentucky, great defensive performance because the quarterback was terrible. Against Georgia, you make the quarterback look terrible. Obviously, Jake Fromm's not a terrible quarterback. People have been singing his praises, and rightly so, all year. But Carolina did enough to make him look you know, about as effective as Sawyer Smith. I mean, clearly a little bit better, but threw three interceptions after having thrown zero the entire season. And and one of them wasn't his fault. Two of them probably his fault. I don't really know the miscommunication on the, the back shoulder throw there that was Israel Mukamu's second interception. But now you have a different wrinkle with Florida. I think Kotrask has looked surprisingly good. I, you know, I was never high on Felipe Franks, but I was like, wow, if this guy is Felipe Franks' backup, then, you know, how bad must he actually be? Um, but he's come in and he's looked excellent. And even more than just a game manager, he has been able to to move this Florida offense up and down the field at times. You know, we saw it against LSU. They only scored 28 points, but I think they moved the ball a little bit better than 28 points would necessarily suggest. But then also, you add in the wrinkle of Emory Jones, who will throw the football, but it's going to come in and he's going to run sort of a, you know, not a full wildcat, but like a more run-heavy set. And for the last couple weeks, or the last couple games, I should say, Carolina has done really well defending more traditional offenses and hasn't had to deal with the wrinkle yet of a mobile quarterback, which, again, they're only going to get in small doses with Emory. But is that enough to create some imbalances in that South Carolina defense? And like I said, just give Carolina something else to think about. Um, I think that's going to be something that's that's really interesting to monitor going into this week. Yeah, Trask has been impressive. Um, At the beginning of this year and through maybe the first two, three games, you know, I thought Florida was a pretender, sort of. You know, there are two teams that I sort of thought were pretenders in the league. One was Florida, and the other was Mississippi State. Mississippi State's definitely a pretender. They're mm-hmm. not very good. Um, but Florida has been better than I anticipated. Their defense, you know, remains pretty salty, even though um, I'm very skeptical that their two ends, Greenard and Jabari Zuniga, are going to play, which would be significant for South Carolina. That would help them a lot. Yeah, Zuniga didn't play at all in the LSU game. Right. He, he They tried to give it a go, and they couldn't. Uh, Greenard had to leave the game. But, you know, th- those two guys are really good. But even even without them, Florida has some guys, right? And they're going to be very aggressive. They've got um, two really good corners, probably the best corners that South Carolina will see this season um, with, with uh, you know, Marco Wilson being one of them, C.J. Henderson the other. Fast cover guys, you know, they're going to be aggressive. But their offense has really been the thing that I think has been the surprise. Trask has looked really poised. He's been accurate. He moved around in the pocket well against LSU. They didn't get much pressure early later in the game. They turned that on a little bit. And they they were score for score with LSU, which is impressive, especially in that environment. Um you mentioned they, you know, scored the 28 points, but they had other opportunities. Um one of their touchdowns was a ball that Emory Jones threw up and it should have been picked and it ends up in LaMichael Piron's hands. Yeah. Um but they had another couple opportunities later in the game and uh, didn't cash in in the red zone, and that was really the difference for them. But um, this is a dangerous offense, and Dan Mullen, he's a really good offensive mind. He's going to scheme um, to get the ball in their playmakers' hands. And when you look at P. Ryan's a very good runner, even though they haven't run the ball very well, but they got some guys, um, you know, Van Jefferson, Tyree Cleveland, Tra- Trayvon Grimes, Kyle Pitts, their tight end is going to be a problem. 
that's going to be a big storyline in the game because South Carolina has been playing a lot more three-linebacker looks, and Will Muschamp's admitted that that can cause you some issues sometimes in coverage. So Mullen is going to try to isolate Kyle Pitts against the safety or against the linebacker, try to get him open. So that's something South Carolina is going to have to be ready to counter. But the biggest key for me, South Carolina's got to win up front again. They've got to continue what they've done the past couple weeks, really the past few weeks, even the Missouri game you can count. They've got to stop the run, number one, and they've got to put pressure on Kyle Trask and force him into mistakes. Well, let's use this to transition into buy or sell because that's our first buy or sell today. That's the key. That, that was the key for South Carolina against Georgia. That's been the key all season. And as you mentioned, Wes, that's sort of that's where this defense starts. But before we do that, and uh, before we have Chris tell us about the Bishop team, let's review uh, last week's buy or sell. You, you decided to keep track of this the the first week that I was just really terrible because I've been killing it all year. And they're like, oh, let's keep track of it. And then you, you, you could have kept track, huh? You could have kept track. I, I mean, I just don't need to because I know how good it's been. And now you just want to make it public since you and Chris went 100%. But go for it. Have your have your moment of glory. All right. So me and Chris were three for three, and Pearson was 0 for three. Uh-huh. Think of that about. Says it all. No, we had, uh, <laughs> we had what? So Georgia rushing that they would be held below their average. Which was 250.0. Yeah, 250, 250 rushing yards per game. Um, they were at, what, 172? Yeah, 168, 170, um, somewhere in there. Uh, sell, sell for me and Chris. Buy for Pearson. Um, that Helensky would throw for more yardage than Jake Fromm. Which we should throw that one out because Helensky got hurt. Sell, sell, buy for Pearson. Wes was out. unconvinced. Yeah. <laughs> and then He's that, keeping it. that South Carolina would cover the spread, basically. Yep. And we bought. And I sold. Yes. Yep. So. All right. So moving on to this week. So tell us about the Bishop team. Yeah, Terry Bishop of the Bishop Real Estate Group. um, 36 years of real estate experience and a former Gamecock quarterback and current huge supporter of the program. So uh, if you want to buy, sell, invest in real estate, got to get a guy who knows what he's doing and a Gamecock guy. So Terry Bishop's an easy choice for that. 803-665-1442. Check out his Facebook page. Lots of real estate information on there. Facebook.com slash the Terry Bishop team. We thank him for uh, helping us out with our football coverage this year. All right. So this is where we started last week. And I don't like to repeat things because I like to keep it fresh and original and unique. But because it's going to be such an important part of this week's game and because there is an interesting wrinkle, as I mentioned earlier, that Florida will throw at Carolina in terms of the rushing game that Georgia and Kentucky didn't necessarily have. Although I guess Kentucky ran a little bit of Wildcat with Lynn Bowden. Uh, Florida is averaging about 140 rushing yards per game. We're not going to do exactly last week, which was fire sell. South Carolina holds Georgia to its to below its rushing total. Wait, was that it? Was it buy or sell? Carolina holds Georgia to below its rushing total, and y'all both sold it. Oh yeah, rushing right, right, yeah, 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 that's correct. But y'all sold that Carolina would hold them to. So y'all got that one wrong, actually. So I got that one right. No. No. The way I don't remember the way we worded it, but we definitely said we said under. The, you, no, it's not under. It's their season sell. average. Yeah, but I'm saying the way we listened to how we explained it. Did we? Yeah. yeah. There, there's. I remember it too. There's. I, I mean, dude, I don't care. The season <laughs> average. The season average was 250 rushing yards. Right. And so your question was, will South Carolina hold them to under their season average? Yeah, which you said they did. sell. Which means I got it right because because no. it sounds like 
It sounds like y'all were saying that they wouldn't, and I was saying they would. I was saying I know we just Wes and I were saying they were hold, they would hold them to under two hundred and fifty yes. yards, which they did. They are cheaters. Whatever. Buy or sell. South Carolina holds Florida to fewer than a hundred total rushing yards. Hmm. They're an abysmal rushing team. Famous last know, words. I don't know where. Yeah, right. <laughs> was it three hundred and seventy yards on the ground last year? Something like that. It was. So we're going with a hundred. 100, yeah. So they average 140. Carolina held Georgia at about 75 fewer rushing yards than their per-game average. Can they do that again against Florida? I'm, I mean, I'm selling that. Um, Ooh. 100, that's... They only average 140. Yeah, and so Carolina's 40... got above-average rush defense. Yeah, they do, but... There, there's, so, there's so much talk about how good South Carolina's defense is right now. Um, you think Javon Kinlaw is going to turn into a pumpkin in the next three days? No, but <laughs> fo- but football, it, you have a different team out there every week. Like, you can't just say, well, they stopped the run great one week. They're definitely going to stop the run great this week. Florida, I think, will hit some plays. And Dan Mullen always has a few tricks up his sleeve. Muschamp obviously speaks very, very highly of Dan Mullen as a play caller. They rushed for three hundred something yards on South Carolina last year. Not that it's the same defense at all, but or the same offense. Um, I'll I still I mean a hundred holding an SEC team to a hundred yards rushing, that's that's tough. I I think Florida will get there. So the if I think all right sell right, so I think South Carolina will. I think Florida will go over a hundred yards rushing. Yeah, okay. I, I'm I'm on the same page with Wes on that one. So you are both selling. I'm going to buy it. So y'all think – y'all, you do not agree that Georgia is like 70 yards per game on the ground better than Florida. No, I'm, I think you're looking at it way more analytical than I am. Mm-hmm. Like I'm more thinking about the fact that these are human beings and I just think that – I think Florida will have success on the ground this week, period. I don't, I don't really know exactly <laughs> – so well, so, no, no so reason really. Just here's here's feel. here's my real rationale, other than just like this really weird kind of mental gymnastics of is Georgia like seventy yards better on the ground? Florida is not an explosive rushing team, which I think is the most important part of why they have not been good at running the football this year. That's what Carolina did very well against Georgia, against a backfield that has been more explosive all season. They didn't allow those huge runs. DeAndre Swift had I think as long as fourteen, he had like a fourteen and a ten and like an eight. But Florida, I should have updated the stat before we did this segment. Florida, going into the LSU game, had only four rushes of at least 10 yards on the entire season, which was dead last in the SEC by a significant margin. So for a team that has not broken off a lot of explosive plays in the running game, I don't think Carolina provides them a lot of opportunity to do that. The one wrinkle, the one thing that scares me about buying this is Emory Jones coming in and having like three 15-yard runs over the course of the game. So maybe I should have just made it running backs, but I'm not going to go back now since we've already kind of gone through the entire thing. I'm going to buy uh, just because I think, you know, if if Carolina holds them to three and a half yards of carry and Florida runs it 28 times or whatever, I, I think that math even still makes it incorrect. I'm buying. I believe in Javon <laughs> Kinlaw. I believe in the improvement of the linebackers. I think Ernest Jones, can we do a sidebar here? Because we love sidebars on the show yeah. more than anything else. If we agree that Javon Kinlaw has been the best defensive player for South Carolina this year, there are a lot of really good nominations. I think for the second best defensive player, who would your pick be? I just tipped my uh, I just tipped my answer, but who who's your second most valuable defensive player for Carolina this year? 
I'll probably go Ernest Jones myself. EJ. I like the energy he's mm-hmm. brought. Um, leadership qualities, even as a sophomore, has allowed TJ Brunson to move to Will, which I think he feels and seems more comfortable there. Um, and, we, you know, we talked about it for whatever reason, whether it's because of D-line in front of him or, or not. Linebacker play just didn't seem great last year. Um, and now Sherrod Green has been able to come into his own as the Sam. So, to me, being him sort of just being good enough to say, hey, guys, you have to play me, um, has made a lot of things come together. And that that's the reason they're sitting in a 4-3 base defense right now too, as, as opposed to sitting in the nickel. So, uh, to me, Ernest Jones, um, I, I feel pretty comfortable saying. 12 tackles and three passes defended as a Sky Moore stat line. He's also on pace to have 100 tackles this year. He's been great. Is that your pick as well? Or you go with, like... Man, that's a tough one. He's he's definitely... I think at this point in the season, there's a good argument for that. I think earlier in the year, he was still... That's the thing people don't remember about Ernest. Like, he played in five games last year. Like, kid's still a freshman, basically. You know? Not even. You know, when you when you look at the experience level, he's certainly been one of the more valuable players for the reasons that, that both of you guys laid out production, plus the fact that he's given them that flexibility, you know, to move TJ over. TJ had a really good game against Georgia, too. I mean, he did a great job filling, making some tackles in space, things like that. I think you could pick a number of other players. I mean, DJ Wanham's been really good. Kobe Smith's been really good. Um, J.C. Horn has been really good for the most part. Sherrod Green, since he's come on. Uh, when they when they play that Sam spot, Chris is naming the whole defense now. Yeah, no, I'm naming the key guys. I, I would say what about Izzy, the guy who had three picks. Yeah, I mean he's he's been good. <laughs> I would say probably past couple weeks, you could go with Ernest Jones as yeah. being the second best guy. I think at the beginning of the season, he was still sort of coming into his own and and gaining that valuable experience, and he's really become more and more comfortable. He's a super bright kid, um, and you know he's he's been all over the field, so. Um, I, I could agree with that in the past couple weeks. Maybe not over the course of the season, but lately, yes. All right, let's 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 get back to – I got a couple things to add to our buy or sell. All right. With the rushing numbers? Yeah, rushing yeah. numbers. Florida, 4.19 yards per carry, which is second to last in the conference, which – Only ahead to, of Vanderbilt? Speaks to – I think so, yeah. It speaks to your prediction. But also, as bad as that number is – South, or Florida's rushing attempts, 40 against LSU, 33 against Auburn, 32 against Towson, 37 against Tennessee, 27 at Kentucky, 38 against Tennessee Martin, just 28 at, at Miami. They're stubborn in the running game. They will keep running the football. They'll stick to it even if they're not getting big plays from it. Uh, rushing yardage totals, 146 at LSU, 132 against Auburn, 160 against Towson, 128 against Tennessee, 138 against Kentucky all easily over 100 yards. So I think even if they don't run the football, quote, well, they'll stick to the run. I think this is actually going to be a somewhat low-scoring game where neither side is going to be taking a bunch of chances because of that. Um, Could be another grinded-out game, and because of that, I think Florida will hit the 100-yard rushing total, even if it's not necessarily a pretty rushing game for them. See, that's really compelling, and if I weren't a – coward then I would probably change my answer because that's a that's a really good stat pull but I'm going to stick with it and I'm going to be wrong probably just because I'm dumb and stubborn I, I wish Dan Mullen would have compared South Carolina's D-line to Auburn mm-hmm. that would have been interesting you guys heard what he said you know he said South Carolina's defensive line is as good or better which I read is better than the LSU defensive line 
which LSU has not been incredible on defense this year by any means. Um, typically, you think of LSU, you think of run the ball and defense. And, and I keep waiting for it to get better, and it just kind of hasn't, which concerns me a little bit. But continue. Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, I, I don't really know what to make of it. I mean, they've got some some guys there, even up front. I mean, they got some good players. But, um, I, you know, Auburn is one of the better defensive lines in the conference and in the country, mm. for sure. Um, and, and Florida's played those guys, and they had some success. So I think that's maybe a pretty decent. And they've played Kentucky, who has a pretty good defensive front too. So it's a couple of good case studies, and they've still had some success against those guys. So that's why I think – I don't know if it's reasonable to expect South Carolina to shut them down on the whole offensively, right? Even though they just had this good game against Georgia, a lot of that was turnovers. So that's another big key, I think. Pressure on Trask – and winning the turnover battle again. That's the recipe for an upset, and that's what they got to do again. All right, so that brings me to my next one. You said pressure on Trask. Our next buy or sell, buy or sell numero dos, South Carolina has over two and a half sacks on Saturday. I'll buy. Cool. So that's three sacks. Just three? Not 2.75. They'll, they'll go just over. It'll be close. <laughs> right. Well, I don't think they're <laughs> the going to have like Clark 10 Why not? or anything. I just, I just don't see that happening. Okay. All right. Chris is on record, does not believe South Carolina can get 10 sacks in a game. That's right. It'll be somewhere between 3 and 10. Do you hate this team? <laughs> what do you think, Wes? I'm buying. Oh, man. Florida has not been great at protecting the quarterback statistically. They're allowing two per game. Um, How many did Auburn have? But... I'm buying no I'm I'm selling on gut feeling that Florida is going to do everything they can schematically to try to keep South Carolina from hitting their quarterback and getting sacks as far as getting the ball out quickly. South Carolina's defensive front will still affect the game. But sacks these days are weird, man. Like they come in bunches and then sometimes a defensive line can have a great game and it doesn't necessarily mean you got a ton of sacks. Um, Florida is a team that can go heavy screen if they want to, as far as just getting the ball out quick. They're they're built to do that. Um, you know, like you said, I, I think we may see a heavy dose of the backup quarterback just to sort of try something different against South Carolina. Um, yeah, I'm I'm selling that South Carolina has three sacks. I'm kind of I'm kind of leaning in that direction. I, Florida's not going to be dropping back and throwing as many. T- I'll say it like this. Kyle Trask and Emory Jones are not going to combine for 51 pass attempts. So there aren't going to be as many opportunities. And even when they do, not that Georgia was taking a ton of shots downfield, but, you know, even some of those intermediate routes, those slow developing comebacks and things like that, you know, where Mukwamu had the pick six, routes like that gave Carolina's defensive line an opportunity to get into the backfield and affect the quarterback. I don't think Florida's going to give Carolina that many chances. So I am going to go under, but it was three sacks against Georgia. They had, how many did they have against Kentucky? They have another three against Kentucky. That sounds right. Wanham had three yeah. against Kentucky. So maybe it was four against Kentucky. I think maybe Wanham had three. Sterling had one. Anyway, it was three or four. And then against Alabama, they had two. They've they've done a good job, you know, even – I mean, pretty much in every game this year, they've done a good job of sort of getting after the quarterback. So that – I think two and a half is, is just right for that. I am just going to sell it just because I don't know how many times Florida's going to throw the ball. Any guesses for how many sacks that Auburn – in Kentucky had against the Gators. I'm going to say Auburn had um, – okay, I'm going to do this weird. 
I'm going to say Auburn had two and Kentucky had three. Wesley. Auburn had four. Kentucky had two. Very close. Auburn did have four. Kentucky had one. Oh. Okay. Hmm. So, I was just using that as a study, you know, yeah. on – you look at the other teams. I mean, ten, I didn't count Tennessee. I didn't count Miami. I certainly didn't count Towson. I didn't even look at LSU uh, to see what they did against the Gators. Would anybody like me to effort that one? It looks like LSU had Three. two sacks. Hmm. So sort of ran the gamut on teams who are maybe similar to South Carolina. But South Carolina's line, I think, I think better than LSU. Probably most similar to Auburn, mm-hmm. who had four. So, I don't know. Yeah. I just, again, for me, it's more, we're talking about sacks, and, and I get it, but I, I think in today's game, pressures are more, like you can have a bunch of pressures and not have a ton of sacks. That's yeah, right. so I, I think the stat, and correct me if I'm wrong, I may be misremembering like the specifics, but I think going into the Carolina game, Georgia had allowed 21 pressures on Jake Fromm, and Carolina had like 16, I think. Which is crazy. Which is 16 almost, pressures in the so. game? I think so. I, I, I may be misremembering that if I am. Somebody correct me, but I think that's the number that I recall. But a lot of it for South Carolina is going to have to, you know, in terms of how how much they can pressure Trask and, and Emory Jones whenever he's back there and asked to throw the football is going to have to do with buyer cell number three. 18 pressures. 18 pressures. Oh. And, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how many they had before that. I, I, I think it was like 21 or 24. It was in the low 20s, um, which is just unbelievable. And, oh, man. I mean, this... This defensive line, is this the best? Well, this probably isn't a stretch, but this is the best defensive line since 2012, right? I would say since then, yes. Better, I mean, better yeah. than 2013, even though that was Clowney's last year. Yeah, that to me, that wasn't a Because that was an underachieving defensive line, line, even though you um, had the number one player in the next year's NFL 2013 draft. was Clowney, Quarles. Sutton. Sutton and Byron Gerardo. Yeah. That sound right. Yeah. But in terms of productivity, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't anything compared to 12. Which you go back to that Georgia game. I, I rewatched the Georgia game, or the first half of the Georgia game, or maybe just the first quarter of the Georgia game, like before the season started, just for just for fun. And I mean, holy smokes, man, that line was. I mean, it was it was like watching the defensive line in the last three quarters of this past Georgia game. But anyway, um, how much Florida has to throw the football is obviously going to be con- going to be contingent on how much and how quickly they're trailing the game, if at all. How big of a lead South Carolina can build. Because it was weird that Georgia threw the ball as many times as they did because it's not like they were trailing by more than seven points ever. Um, but that's sort of what I'm curious about now. Like I said, as we go into buy or sell number three, buy or sell, South Carolina scores more than 30 points on Saturday. We did this a couple weeks ago. I think we did it after the Missouri game. I said, will Carolina score 30 points against an FBS opponent this year? And y'all both bought it, and I sold it. And now here we are again with a very specific case of will Carolina score 30 points. Yeah, I think it was after Missouri because I did it just like very sarcastically. Um, and so I was disappointed that both of y'all sold it. And I bought it, of course. For this week, I'm selling just because I I think this is going to end up being another grinded out, low-scoring type game. I, I think, you know, right or wrong, when Will Muschamp has a good defense, he sort of leans on the defense as well. Um, obviously... Ryan Helensky not 100%. That affects things. Um, carry on Joyner, still it didn't look 100% to me against Georgia. So that's going to affect things on offense as well. I, I'd i be shocked if this is two teams going up and down the field on each other. No, I, you, I could be you don't wrong. think this would be 30-24 to 24 or 30-21 to 21 Carolina or 31-27? That's still a relatively low-scoring game. That's like a medium-scoring game. Yeah, no, I, I, I think this is more – 
I think Carolina can score 28 points and win the game, but I I just don't I don't see it going into the 30s. Christoph? I do not see them scoring 30 points either. So yeah, whatever, however you structure the question. So, yeah. Oh, man. So is Carolina going to score 30 against an FBS opponent? To revisit an earlier buy or sell? Yes, Vandy. Vandy, Vandy. Vanderbilt is so bad. Yeah. There's a, I said I wanted to say there's how many. Yeah. There's how many teams right now? 130 FBS teams. Vandy is almost last in offense and defense. That that's hard to do. They're literally in the <laughs> 120s in the in offense and defense as far as scoring. All right. So Wes so, thinks they're trying so, to be that bad. So, <laughs> bonus, Vandy, Vandy is tanking. They're tanking. <laughs> yeah. All right. Bonus buy or sell. Just stop me when you feel like I, I hit the right cutoff. Vanderbilt would lose to five FCS schools right now. No, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know enough pick about the, the five FC. best. Hey, I don't know the who five the five best, best FCS schools are. I mean, but, I would say yes. Okay, I don't know. Vanderbilt probably. will lose to the to the top ten FCS schools right now. Yeah, I don't know about that. Let's look at the FCS. Top okay, 10. so ten. I'll, I'll give some take. Like I've studied all the FCS teams. So Vanderbilt's one win is um, against Northern Illinois. And they won that by six. I think it was twenty-four to eight. And Northern Illinois is not good as on far their level. No. FCS. I, I said think. this earlier. Can we revisit this and just kind of just just take it in going into this weekend? Vanderbilt was a fifteen and a half point favorite against the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Raise your hand if you knew they had a football team. I did. Well, you're not raising your hand. Okay. All right. There we go. Wes and I are not raising our hands. I'm sure a lot of you are not raising your hands. They're a 15-and-a-half-point favorite. That is, I guess, technically a two-touchdown lead, but we'll say more than a two-touchdown favorite. And they lost. And they lost by three touchdowns in and three two-point conversions in Nashville. Yeah, that's horrific. They should abolish their – why do they have a football team? There, there was – first of all, there's nobody there at the beginning of the game, and I saw a picture of the stadium – after the game, one of the FCS top ten teams was Furman. There were definitely more people at any Furman game, even Furman's if Furman top was 10? losing. Yes, holy smokes! I got to get back on the Furman wagon. is uh, number eight right now. They're four and two. Good for them. Furman would have a good chance to be. I'm going to answer that question by Vanderbilt using the transitive property of college football, which is Illinois right. State lost to Northern Illinois twenty four to ten, and they are ranked number ten in mm. FCS. So I think Vanderbilt may. May not sure have a chance to beat Illinois State or Nichols, who's number nine. Furman would probably beat Vanderbilt. So, so the cutoff we're we're saying Vanderbilt know. is better than, or Vanderbilt would yeah. lose to the top eight FCS schools right now. Where's Charleston Southern on that list? They're probably like 110. West, come on. I, I think they're like a legitimately horrible FCS. I team. know that's all. Sorry if there's. Um, I'm not sorry. Charleston Southerners listening. You know what? If they're Charleston Southerners listening, I promise they're not football fans. I, I have another are, they have stat other about Vanderbilt's loss to UNLV as well, though. UNLV. I didn't th- know they had a football team. Now, this is according to this is according to um, our friend Chris Lee at VandySports.com on the Rivals Network. Does an awesome job covering Vanderbilt. He reported that UNLV has not won an FBS – or I'm sorry – a Power Five. So there is a difference in that. Mm-hmm. UNLV has not won a Power Five game since 2008. Not 18, 8. 2008. So, oh, man, I was still in holy. high school. 
you know, now UNLV is in what the Mountain West, so they're they're not they're a group of five programs, so it's not like you expect them to start racking up all these power five no, but wins. They, I mean, that's, that's at least at that's at least like ten decade. to twelve chances, and they're not scheduling Alabama every year, right? So that's that's very bad, and um, yeah, all right, wow. Charleston Southern's one and five. They have beat Savannah State, who is traditionally extremely bad as well. Hmm. I don't know. They're, they're would Vanderbilt bad. lose to any D two teams? No. Where would we be on a on a depth chart? At Vanderbilt? Yeah. Dead last. You think? Yes. Don't don't, don't, don't go there. I feel like Wes would be kind of a six slot receiver. No, dude. And Chris, Come you could kick now. or punt or something. You're a soccer player. I can't kick the ball very well. Really? No. No. Well kicking is well. Which let's, is let's, in let's soccer train you need to Wes. be able to kick. Let's but train no. Wes. We'll send him back to Vanderbilt for grad school. We'll pay for it. <laughs> And just see if you can make the football team as an experiment. Do it for ACP. People are going to turn this, start turning off our podcast soon. But one more Vanderbilt thing: Are will they win another game this year? Hell no! I don't okay. even care who they're playing. They're okay, not well, even going to beat the open week. They have one opportunity. <laughs> they do have an open week. They have one opportunity in my mind to win a game, and they that is uh, East Tennessee State at home, November twenty third. No respect. For My East brother Tennessee plays them in State. soccer in two weeks. East Tennessee um, State is two and four. That's more wins than Vanderbilt. Who has one win against Northern Illinois? Um, yeah, I'm going to say no. But they're tanking. They're tanking for Jordan Birch. That's what happens, right? <laughs> they lose all their games. They get to draft Jordan Birch number one overall. <laughs> Rough. Oh, I, w- I man, wouldn't wish great. that on anybody. Okay. All right. Well, this uh, this about does it for. I think unquestionably the greatest buy or sell we've ever done. I'll, uh, or the worst. No, the, I mean the best, I think. I think we've, we've offended Vanderbilt fans and Charleston Southern fans and um, hopefully the majority of people listening because uh, that's, that's at least my aim. I know y'all are more sensitive to that, but I like to make people mad. Um, all right, that does it for that. Florida games on Saturday. How do y'all feel about that game? Is Carolina going to win? Man, I've been going back and forth on that all week. I, I, it's just... Chris thinks it's going to be close. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, hey, let, let me let me jump in this thing. Um, you mentioned Kyle Pitts earlier, tight yeah. end for Florida. Yeah, he good. I think this guy, I think that's like one of my five keys to this game is going to be for South Carolina to find a way to cover this kid because we've talked about the 4-3 defense and how it's South Carolina's base now and – how that's really worked out well for them, obviously, so far. But the teams they've played so far really haven't had a dynamic guy at tight end. And as far as since they've the last two games. They're Jordan, they played Albert O, and he did nothing. But they weren't in this whole 4-3 mindset yet. Mm, yeah, that was after true. Missouri. But even still, they, um, that, that surprises me, actually. I didn't even think about that in the immediate aftermath, but Albert O did nothing. Yeah, so this guy's 6'6", 239, as far as what he's listed at on the Gators' website. And... You know, Muschamp talks a lot about in the past about Carolina's tight ends and how defenses don't know how to count them as far as do you count them as a tight end, do you count them as a wide receiver. Kyle Pitts is a guy they move around a lot. Sometimes he's flexed out wide. Sometimes he's in line. Um, was like national tight end of the week last week, five catches for 108 yards, 30 receptions this year, which is tops among tight ends in the country. 362 yards receiving, which is tops at least in the SEC among tight ends. Um, he's their leading receiver overall. 
that's a matchup problem that South Carolina is going to have to solve, I think, um, as far as how do you match up with him. You know, when you're in – with South Carolina's scheme, when you're in nickel, then, you know, with Florida spreading you out, you probably end up with a safety matched up on the tight end. Um, if they're in 4-3 with – one of the safeties is probably going to be down on the slot receiver. That probably leaves you with one of these linebackers matched up on the tight end if they're in man coverage. So I'll be curious to see what they do there. Uh, does it mean play more zone? Does it mean, you know, you don't really bracket tight ends very often, I don't think, but maybe you do down near the goal line. That, that to me, will be sort of an interesting game within the game. How does South Carolina choose to match up with this guy? And uh, I, I think – He's been a big part of Florida's offense and a big sort of safety blanket for Kyle Trask. So, to me, that's one of like the top handful of keys for South Carolina this week. I think you got to feel good about that, though. If your biggest problem is how do you shut down a tight end, I feel like that bodes well for you. I mean, if if your biggest problem is the other team's tight end, they're not scoring 31 points, you know? Wow, but they've also got – you look at it, they've got Van Jefferson and, and Trayvon Grimes, a former five-star, you know, who transferred from Ohio State and – Tyree Cleveland. I mean, they got some receivers too. I like too. The Swain kid, man. Swain's yeah, good. Swain is that dude is quick. He scares me more than those other guys. Hammond. honestly. Yeah, he's fast, yeah. man. You look at you look at what um, Alabama did. Not to put him on par with those guys, but just what speed yeah. has done against South Carolina's defense, and not sort of getting out of this thing where they, they've take they've taken good angles the last couple weeks, but also they haven't faced guys quite with the quickness that this kid has. So. No, I mean, these are the most dynamic playmakers on the perimeter that Carolina's seen since the Alabama game. I think yeah, Swain we talked about this a little bit last week. The, the one question mark that you had about Georgia was the drop-off at receiver from last year to this year. And, you know, I mean, they still got some good guys like George Pickens as a freshman. Like, he's probably going to give Carolina fans nightmares, you know, over right. the next couple of years. Like, he's going to be a really good receiver in the SEC for the next couple of years. And they have some other guys. But it is a little bit different in terms of speed. But it makes it even more curious that you you have that quality of playmaking on the edge you have Kyle Trask, who's been more than competent, and you have Dan Mullen, who's you know one of the more respected offensive minds in the country, and they just still haven't been able to put it together. Now, this is the classic, put it all together against South Carolina, you know, for the first time all year. But just the the disconnect that's been there all season, and and I mean, even even last year, like Florida wasn't great offensively last year; they were they were pretty decent, and, and it was kind of like as Franks goes, so the offense goes. I don't know. I just there's something about this offense that doesn't feel totally cohesive. Maybe it's it's similar to how South Carolina sort of lacks an identity. Because you're right, like they have they do have all these playmakers, but their first priority is to run the ball. They don't spend enough time getting it into these guys' hands, in my opinion. Yeah, so I, I mean, that, and that's a, that's a good point. But you know, I mean, they did, and their defense played great against Auburn. Uh, they caused a lot of problems for Auburn, but um, they scored a decent amount against Auburn, um, and they had their best game last week in a. Very tough environment. LSU has not been very, you know, they've not been very good defensively, but I think it says something that uh, they moved the ball extremely well in that game. They didn't run it great, um, but they had a lot of opportunities in that game. They were score for score with LSU, who's one of the, I mean, heck, one of the top two offenses in the country right now, really, if you if you look at it statistically. So I think, um, that, go ahead. No, 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 you're, you're making a point. I just, I want to go next. Yeah, you you want to go next. So I, I think... You know, Florida is still a dangerous offensive team, you know, and I think they're coming off a, a game in which, even though they lost, was probably a confidence builder for them offensively, and I think they f- they are figuring things out that they can get to and that if they get their receivers in space, if they give Kyle Trask time, they can make some things happen. So that's why it's so important, I think, for South Carolina to not make this a space game. Don't Don't let these guys get out in space. 
harass Trask. That's the biggest key to this game. And Javon Kinlaw with his interior rush, I think is maybe the key to the game defensively. It's a lot different when you got, you know, Chase on from LSU, who's a really good edge guy. South Carolina's got some edge guys. But when you get that interior rush and a guy like Trask who can move, but not like Emory Jones, um, if you can not let him step up or navigate the pocket as well and things collapse, we saw that against Georgia. And that's what Auburn um, was able to do. Then, and that's what Auburn like. was able to do. And and that's going to cause you problems. And, and that's what South Carolina has to do. And then, I mean, shoot, we haven't even gotten as much into the offense. South Carolina, I mean, can they score? Mm. You know, because Florida um, can cause you some problems there too. And South yeah. Carolina's I mean, not been the, dynamic. That's the best defensive. Florida's probably the best defensive team Carolina's played this year, right? At full strength, maybe. Um, no. I still think Georgia's defense is pretty good. Yeah, they are. They are. And Carolina, Carolina um, looks fine when Helensky's in there. The the His health is going to be just such an X factor. Yeah, like, sure. I yeah. just have no idea, and I don't trust Will Muschamp's injury reports because I think he said every week for an entire season that DJ Wanham was coming back, and then turns out he was actually missing half of his leg for most of last year. I think that was unofficially reported that he had to get a, a leg well, transplant. But <laughs> I just I, I don't believe – and and Helensky's health at this point, and that's a huge that makes a huge difference for this offense because everyone has made a lot about Joyner's performance, and it was nice that he didn't, he didn't lose the game. But I mean, if Joyner's a quarterback for the whole game, I don't know if Carolina scores ten points. And I think Carolina's defense is better than LSU's. But if Florida gets to twenty eight, I don't know if Carolina can win this game. But let me play this out just for the sake of parallelism and and like really. Uh, I had a film professor. I might bleep this out. I don't know. But I had a film professor that called this picking that shit out of pepper, you know, just like really extrapolating an, a, a minute detail and making it a bigger deal than it actually is. We talked about Carolina beating Georgia in 2012. It's two top 10 teams going at it. It's at home for Carolina. Carolina gets a big win. All of a sudden, I was like, oh, well, this is a legitimate national championship caliber team. And then they have to go on the road to LSU and they have to go on the road to Florida. This year, you have Florida playing at home. They get a huge marquee win against Auburn that makes everyone believe that all of a sudden they're a, a real like national championship contender, and then they have to go on the road to LSU and lose, and then they have to go on the road to Carolina, who's a stout defensive team like that Florida team was. There's a lot of symmetry there. Did I already tip my hand that I was going that way? Were or, you really? Yes. Oh, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to steal that from you. God. No, no. Oh man, I'm so, sorry. Womp womp. But it's a great thought, Wes. You're brilliant. <laughs> He's banging his head against the mic if you can't hear it. Oh man, that's that's one of my points I've been saving the whole time. Damn but yeah, it. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm I'm with you, man. I mean, it feels that way. And you know, we we talk about Carolina being banged up, which by the way, I can. We're recording this on Wednesday morning. Um, Carolina practices in the mornings. Um, got a text while we we're recording that Helensky was practicing today with the first team. Was able to go through team period. Um, I still don't expect him to be. 100%, you know, I think that's the big thing. Can he move around? But uh, the the report there is much more positive as the week has progressed now that he should be able to practice or should be able to play on Saturday um, and getting that independent of, you know, the Will Muschamp injury report that you're talking about. But, um, <laughs> you know, the health status of both these teams is a big factor in this and just how banged up is Florida coming off of that trip to LSU. Like you said, the, the big win over Auburn. And, you know, can, can, you know, interestingly enough, it was a Will Muschamp team that South Carolina was going to play, and they were able to get the football off of South Carolina, force a bunch of turnovers, and um, I don't think I remember about that game is Florida had, like, 
no offensive yardage in the first half. They had but, more points than offensive yards in the first yeah, half. Yeah, but was hammering South Carolina. That's a real they, stat. Yeah. They had gotten the ball yeah. off of South Carolina a lot. So, yeah, I, dude, I, I had already thought about that. And it, there are interesting parallels. And I think in college football, sometimes, um, you know, when you play a team is just as important as anything else. Mm-hmm. And this is a Florida team. You take their, their known injuries with their two defensive ends who, you know, Florida – may have the best pass-rushing defensive line South Carolina was going to face. But if they're missing but, their edge rushers. Yes, before you take out those two guys, mm-hmm. and with South Carolina's issues protecting the passer, no sacks allowed against Georgia, but we all saw Helensky's getting hit. Most of the time he's dropping back. So, yeah, but Pro Football um, Focus only credited South Carolina's offensive line with giving up five pressures. That means the other 12 that Carolina gave up, because I think it was 17, were either Georgia bringing an extra man or the fault of the tight end or the running back. Now, in all those cases, like they still gave up the pressures, but I, I think yeah. I think it looked worse for Carolina's offensive line than, than it actually may have been. Yeah, well, I'll say the entire blocking unit, offensive line, tight end, running backs, my eye test says Lindsey was getting hit a lot. <laughs> yeah, so, he And he was getting hit a lot against Kentucky, uh-huh. and he was getting hit a lot against Missouri. So the kid's been hit all year, I, I feel like. So um, – this this defensive line would have given you a very, very tough test, but if those two guys are out, that affects things. And how many guys does Florida – everybody's banged up right now, but how many guys does Florida have that, that are banged up that aren't even, you know, on the public injury list just from playing two top ten teams back-to-back, going to LSU, the mental aspect of that. Now, you're almost – it's almost like, oh, okay, we got through this portion of the schedule. This is just South Carolina. And I'm sure – they have Florida's attention, especially coming off the win over Georgia. But um, it's just different going, you know, going to, to LSU and playing two top ten teams in a row, and then going and seeing a team that is three and three mindset wise for a team is probably just a little bit different. So I think some of these other aspects really play into South Carolina's favor. It's it's exciting. This should be the most fun, and we just like to do this because we're talking heads, or at least I like to do this. But this could be the most important game played at Williams Bryce since Will Muschamp got here. There, there's a lot there's a lot riding on this game. And fortunately for Carolina, there's a lot more to gain than there is to be lost in this Florida game. But I, I think I think it's going to be electric, even though it's a noon game. I think it's going to be electric. Everybody get your mimosas ready. Get your Bloody Marys ready. Get your Schlotzky's tailgating tray ready. Wes, you want to go through and uh, give us our winner from last week? Yeah, I do have a winner this time. It is uh, SC Bobo, who uh, predicted... That South Carolina would win twenty-one to nineteen. God, what a stud! SC Bobo, holy smokes! All on it, man. And uh, obviously, we want to thank Slotsky's Deli for hooking us up. Um, you know, for for our lunch, and obviously hooking up our sixty dollars worth of free food to our winners to our Slotsky's Pick'em contest each week. Um, if you're a subscriber, go on the Insiders Forum and. It's pinned at the top. It says Slotsky's Tailgating Tray Giveaway, Gamecocks versus Florida. Even if you're not a subscriber, just Sign up for a free account. Go to the Fighting Gamecocks forum. You can play on there as well. The best, the closest to the correct score that gets picked among the Insiders forum and Fighting Gamecocks forum, we, we add them all together. Whoever's the best out of that entire pool gets a free $60 tailgating tray to Slotsky's Deli that I will mail to your house so you can use it whenever Not you want. Not the tray, the gift certificate. Yes. Yeah, don't mail the tray to their house. The, the, that would the be interesting. Would not be good, by the yeah. way. <laughs> um, the cookies would still be fine. Though. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, those. Oh, that, it's like... It's like those, uh, whatever, but that would survive the nuclear holocaust, those cookies. They're great. Cookies, sandwiches, the whole thing. Um, I'm really curious. I guess S.C. Bobo listens if he's playing the Slotchies, or I guess not necessarily, but I hope he, he listens. He said he listens. Okay, good. 
how did he think that Georgia was going to get 19? It's kind of hard to get there. Like two touchdowns, a field goal, and a safety. Definitely a safety. Or a touchdown and then just an ass ton of field goals. or Four field goals and a touchdown. Yeah. Would do it. I don't know. That's interesting. But congratulations. That's fantastic. And thanks so much to Slotsky's. Man, that place rocks. We were just haggling, talking about getting some more Slotsky's. For our own, for our own hungry, I, I got greedy, y'all. fat mouths. I got y'all. But I mean, may, dude, maybe that's a smart strategy. If you go like a nineteen number, you're like splitting the difference between seventeen and twenty or twenty-one. So that's that. That might be a great. Yeah, strategy, he, he could have just been playing the odds, not necessarily yeah. predicting of the final yeah, score. You split just saying, the difference there. Yeah. I don't know. Sounds like a picks expert to me. But uh, but that's fantastic. Like you said, Insiders Forum, if you are a subscriber, Fighting Gamecock Forum, if you're not a subscriber, is where you can play that. If you're not a subscriber, use the exclusive podcast code, GCPOD, G-C-P-O-D, if you want to be a subscriber for one month for free to Gamecock yeah, Central. if you're not a subscriber, become a subscriber. Yeah. I mean, depending on how this Florida game goes, and, I mean, the, the excitement leading up to this Florida game, and then we're also just a couple of weeks away from the start of basketball season. Like, it's a great time. There's a lot of good information on there. SEC Media Days is today is going on right now as we're doing this on wednesday colin taylor hopped in a car on tuesday and rolled to birmingham alabama so yeah so y'all don't want to miss all the good stuff that's going on on gamecock central right now um and also the gamecock central podcast network is flourishing right now two times a week another carolina podcast including the no huddle the immediate aftermath of the games two times a week the get cocky podcast which has been a lot of fun wilhelms on mondays special secret south carolina former players on friday to help break down game plans and discuss other sorts of fun Who we got this week. Uh, surprise this week. Last week was uh, Michael Skarnecchia. This week's going to be uh, another fun one. Um, it's been great. It's been a Does lot of fun. Does that mean you so, don't know yet? Huh? You, no, no. You I'm, just, I'm keeping it under wraps. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, be sure to rate, review, subscribe to all the Gamecock Central podcasts, including this one. Share it with your friends. Those are all great ways to support the podcast if you want us to keep doing them because you really like them because we really enjoy doing them. Today was a, a really fun one. So thank you all for listening. And uh, we at ACP will talk to you next week. I'll be back with another Get Cocky podcast on Friday. In the meantime, y'all have a great week. Thanks for listening. Welcome to America, the land of junk sleep, where it's bedtime, but you're double booked. Here, there's always one more deadline to meet, episode to watch, or meme to share. The world may not want you to sleep, but we do. Only the sleep experts at Mattress Firm can help you find the right bed at the right price. Unjunk your sleep. In-store or online at mattressfirm.com today. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.